All right, welcome in week nine of the college football season. This is the Dream Preview College Football Edition. I'm A.J. Hoffman. He is Taylor McCarg. Uh, we are going to bring you some entertainment, some pleasure, some joy, and maybe even some college football talk today. Uh, we've got, we're going to talk some, some overriding college football stuff for a little bit, and then we're going to get into the picks. We know that's what you guys want. That's what you're here for. Uh, we both hit our three star again this week, Taylor. So that's a, that's a good start. That's that's a nice place to kick things off from. So congratulations, you at least kept up with me this week. It's about time. <laughs> thank you, thank you. Well, let let's start uh, in Texas, where you're at, where Texas Tech has mid season fired a coach, and it strikes me as odd. But I think maybe what we're seeing here is. That, with the early recruiting season and things like that now, we're going to see a lot more mid-season firings than we're used to seeing. you agree with that? I do. And what's most interesting about Texas Tech this year and, and the timing of that firing, I think that they let him go at the point in the season that they did because I think there would, would have been you know, a little bit fearful that if they do get that sixth win, because they were 5-2 and two going into that game, if they win there against Kansas State, which you know they're up, up two scores going into half and then blow it in the second half, if they win, then everything changes. Instead, they lose, and now you're, if you're you know you're looking at in order to keep momentum on our side, and, and it's from everybody that I know around the program and just sort of following it loosely on Twitter as well. It never seemed like a marriage. It never seemed like they uh, between the staff and the fan base in Lubbock that there was really any love between the two. And if you win that game or if you win a game in, in the back half of the schedule and you get that sixth win, all of a sudden if you're Texas Tech and you're the board and the AD, it makes it really difficult or more difficult to let him go. So I think that's the biggest reason it happened. I also agree with you that with the way free agency really what you call it now works in college football, you, if you're going to pull the trigger on a guy and let him go, you may as well do it now and let the season ride out with an interim head coach because you're trying to lock down recruits that are going to be moving around. And it does you really no good to hang on to a coach if you know, regardless of what the, you know, the, the last few games of the season looks like, does you no good really to hang on to that guy? It seems to me that Sonny Dykes is going to be the, the A1 target for Texas Tech. Is that, is that what you're hearing down there? Yes, but hearing a lot of support for Jeff Trailer at UTSA. And it's not just, I mean, obviously the success and what he's built at UTSA over a pretty short amount of time is maybe the, the biggest reason why. But, and I know Sonny Dykes obviously has the ties to Tech through his dad, but what Matt Wells did not have that Jeff Trailer has in spades, and, and Sonny Dykes does as well, but really Jeff Trailer, Jeff Trailer coming from his background at the, as the head coach at Gilmer, that would be an absolute ideal fit at a place like Texas Tech where he's going to have ties across the state into these high schools and with these coaches that he's had a relationship with for the better part of 25, 30 years. So that's what from everything I've seen and heard some of the complaints about Matt Wells at tech was just never felt like he really got it. You know, didn't feel like 
This was a, a guy that belonged in Texas, didn't mesh really well with the Texas high school football scene and with those coaches. And at a place, especially like Texas Tech, you know, it's different if you're at an A&M or a Texas because you're so big that, and even in some cases, a Baylor, but especially at the A&Ms and, and the Texas, you're going to get your guys and you're going to get the four and five stars there just by nature of the brand. It is a lot different in Lubbock. That's a tough place to recruit to. And you're going to really rely on those relationships with the, the high school coaches in the state of Texas. And that's something Matt Wells just didn't have. Yeah. And that's I, I, my assumption on Sonny Dykes was, you know, outside of the Mike Leach era, Spike Dykes is the best coach in, in Texas Tech history. It, he he knew how to win in Lubbock. I, I think obviously his son would would follow in those footsteps. It just seemed like a natural fit to me. And with him, with SMU playing so well right now, it seems like that'd be a logical fit. But you're right. Uh, you know, there's a couple of schools, a couple of the smaller schools in Texas right now playing with UTSA. Even in UTEP, they're playing some good football right now. So uh, maybe there are some options for Texas Tech. But I agree, that's got to be a real culture fit to work in Lubbock, Texas. Like, it, it can't just be a good X and O's football coach. It takes a special kind of guy. The only thing that I would say that, again, would I would think maybe goes in favor of, of a Jeff Trailer is – is Sonny Dykes at SMU, is there anything going on behind the scenes there long-term with the Big 12? Is there a window where he potentially sticks it out there and rides it out? I think probably not, but that's the only thing I could think of also that, w- that may keep him there, that you're not going to have that at UTSA. UTSA is not going to have the budget to compete with what a Texas Tech is going to be able to offer. And UTSA, you know, with we talked about this last week with their move to the American, that's a big step forward for them. But they're still, I mean, they're nowhere near the recruiting budget and the brand and, and you know, frankly, the dollars and cents that you're going to pay a head coach. So I think trailer to me, Sonny Dykes gets, is getting a lot of the headlines right now and for good reason. But to me, I would have if Sonny Dykes is is you know a one. I think Jeff Trailer's got to be you know sort of one B or if you will, just right behind him. Well, let's talk about a, uh, a a couple bigger jobs. We hit on LSU and USC last week. Kind of talked about what's what's the bigger job. What's where's the higher ceiling? And one guy who's been named in association with both of them. Well, two guys. One is Mike Tomlin, who basically shut it down today. I'm like, nope, not me, not happening. Which is uh, awesome. Uh, James Franklin, though, uh, of Penn State, he has not quite shut it down. He said, "Listen, it's not going to be a uh, it's not going to be a distraction from my team. Don't worry. I'm just changing agents right now in, in mid season, and not a big deal, guys. This happens all the time, right? I just switched to a, a mega agent. No, what's the big deal? This shouldn't be a distraction. Uh, what are your thoughts on?" Franklin changing it like does that is that a pretty telltale sign changing agents like this in the middle of the season and do you think that he is at the top of the the candidates list for either of these teams and then if so my question kind of becomes why because this is a guy who at Penn State's a, a pretty good place and and right now it looks like maybe he's kind of underachieved to date right I think there's a lot to unpack in just a week for them I think the timing of the agent is that raises eyebrows. I don't care what. First off, these coaches have to play the game, and I get it. When they get asked about this stuff, unless it's what you saw from Mike Tomlin today, which I thought was fantastic the way he answered that, 
And also would be so funny if he turns around in like six months or not even six months, a month and <laughs> goes to USC just because of the soundbite. He won't. I, I think I we all believe him and that conviction with the way he said that today. But in the college ranks, it is everybody is looking for, you know, what is your job a launch pad for the next gig? And even the Penn States of the world that are right there, I mean, blue chip programs, it's still not, you know, there's a handful of jobs. We talked about them a couple weeks ago with USC, Texas, Notre Dame. There's a, just a couple others that are really that, you know, very top tier. And I, you would probably put LSU in that bucket as well. And Franklin's James Franklin is playing the game. I think it is a distraction to your guys. I think it doesn't really matter now because of the loss to Illinois. Clifford is not fully healthy. I think James Franklin is, is aware there's probably another loss or two in the regular season for them. And again, he's playing the game. He's looking around saying he's really about at the top and he's got one more crack at this at, a, at that level more than likely at this point in his career where you're going to go to a place where you can win a national championship, give it a shot. And if it doesn't happen, because I agree with you, his on paper had some nice teams, but hasn't done anything that leads you to believe, okay, this is another, you know, a, a Saban or an urban somebody that, okay, we're going to, we've got, we'll give this guy whatever he wants, or even a Jimbo will give this guy virtually whatever he wants. I don't think James Franklin is on that level and hasn't proven to be, but it also makes sense that his name is being thrown around because you see at the highest level, the USC and LSU jobs specifically, how hard it is to go find the, the names that they want. There's just not that many guys. That's a lot of times what my complaint is with these fan bases when they say, well, we need to let go of this guy. Let's go get – and you they, they rattle off a list of names and you're like, why would Mike Tomlin leave what you saw today? Are you crazy? Do you really think that you're going to be able to go get some of these people? So I think that's why you get a James Franklin at the top of the list because well, who else is there, you know? Yeah, I heard Jeff Fisher's name kicked around today. It's like – but even if, if USC is really interested in Jeff Fisher and Mike Tomlin, to me, they're kind of – going the opposite direction that they should be like the thing to find now is the next young stud. And those are, those, those are, those are dinosaur coaches. Like Mike Tomlin, even for a young dude, I, I don't even think he's 50 yet is a dinosaur NFL head coach. Like this is a guy who isn't like an analytics guy. Isn't you know, progressing the game. He's, he's an old school, old head coach. I mean, Jeff Fisher, even, even more so like, it just doesn't fit the the vibe that it feels like most big time programs are looking for right now. And unless you've got a a Nick Saban, like you should be looking for a guy who can be Nick Saban ten years from now. You should be looking for the next Dabo Swinney. You know, like when Clemson found Dabo and and they, they hit they hit the jackpot. But that should be the goal, right? Not to find some guy who has been out of coaching or. Or is you know some some retread somewhere, or even an, an old school NFL coach? It just doesn't seem like a right fit, does it? Yeah, I, I guess the last thing I would say is how interesting it is that the NFL and college seem to be doing the opposite, where the NFL wants to go younger, they want innovation. That you have guys like Shanahan and McVeigh that 
you they're clearly bringing in younger blood that has fresh ideas and have really a younger staff even though you know their assistants and some of the DCs and coordinators are older it's interesting that the head guys in the NFL seem to be going younger where in the college ranks the gray hairs are, are still winning out most of these jobs and I agree with you for some of them it's worth going and finding the young up and comer, but these fan bases, again, they are beholden to these boosters that write the checks and and really make a lot of the decisions happen behind the scenes. And I think a lot of times that's where the pressure comes from, where you say, no, those are the boosters saying, no, we don't want the 35 year old coordinator that may be the next greatest thing. Let him go earn his stripes somewhere else in the P five. And then we'll come pluck him after a handful of years. So it's just, I think, an interesting difference between the two jumping from the NFL down to college. Well, speaking of James Franklin, he was involved in an interesting, embarrassing loss this week. Uh, I mean, first of all, anytime Penn State loses to Illinois in football, it's it's a bad look. Uh, but this is a Penn State team that, I mean, to be fair, they've got a, a, a quarterback issue. I mean, they, they didn't expect to, to be dealing with this. I mean, obviously injuries happen, but this is a team that coming into the season, a lot of people thought was, you know, maybe a, a dark horse uh, to, to challenge an Ohio State this year. And they lose a the game to Iowa where Clifford gets hurt. And then losing this game against Illinois in the first nine overtime game, I thought that the new overtime rule was supposed to make these things go like get over with faster. I don't know that this is the answer. I don't know. I don't, I'm not sure. How do you feel about the college football uh, overtime rules now? Yeah, I and I, this is I've heard this a handful of times from different people. This was a hot button topic throughout the week, and I'm gonna I'm in alignment with what it sounds like a lot of other people think as well. I would be fine with this for the regular season, the current structure, but I think this would be a, a, a disaster if you had a playoff game on the line and it was decided by two-point plays because it's the same complaint that soccer fans have and have had forever. If you follow soccer at all, most fans don't like when games are they end on PKs. Now, the casual fan like me that watches a handful of games a year and watches the World Cup, I think it's great because it's exciting. But if you if you're playing, you take it back to to college football. Football is played. There's so many different facets to the game, and when you get down to two point plays in the red zone, that's a very specific type of play. Offenses usually take in to any week between three and four two-point plays, that's about it. It'll be expanded now because of this rule, but that's not something that you traditionally prepare you know, 10 plays for. And that's what this rewards, the way that they have it set up right now. It rewards teams that are really good in the red zone, and I think it punishes teams that maybe they have their you – know, why they're good and what makes them so great is that they have the big explosive plays, but they struggle more when you condense them in the red zone. So the answer on the flip side, maybe we'll then get better in the red zone. Sure. But I think you're simplifying the game and, and narrowing the scope of the game way too much, especially if you're going to have this structure be the way that a game is going to be decided. I also think the last thing I'll say on this, I think it, it, you know, it's a little bit counterintuitive because two Big Ten teams, usually you would expect them to be able to run the ball and pick up two and a half yards between the tackles if they needed to. But I think 
you will see specific styles of offense be better at this in the long term. And again, I, I, I hate the system if there was something really on the line. I thought it was actually pretty entertaining. I thought it was hilarious. The piece that I thought that was the funniest thing is that they're making them walk down and swap end zones every time. I'm like, that. you can do away with that. Let them stay in the same end zone. If you want to save time, why the hell are we having them march down the field for another two-point play? But I think this will get revisited. Uh, my thoughts on overtime in general, I think they had it pretty close to being right in the old scheme. I think you just push them back a ways so that you can't just immediately kick a field goal from the 25. And that probably would have fixed things. You probably don't get more than two or three overtimes max if they do that. But this system now was not a big fan of the current system if they if we see this in a playoff format. Yeah, they, they've got to figure it out before it comes to that. Hopefully that's not the case. And hope I mean, maybe, you know, kind of like – it, maybe there's just different rules for the, for the playoffs. I don't know if that's if that works either, but they, it's got to be something else. And I don't, I don't think they should go to like the NFL rules. But what they did what they did on Saturday just that just can't happen in my opinion. All right, let's get into our uh, our games this week. Let's get into the big games. And there's a last week we were struggling to find three games that were like worthy of saying, okay, this is like a big national game. It was, it was a, it was a, an ugly weekend of college football. Like we were talking about USC and Notre Dame and, and they both kind of suck. Uh, but this week we've, we've got some better matchups starting with two unbeatens in the big 10 Michigan minus four and a half at Michigan state. And th- to, this is a really interesting game to me. I think you're paying a little bit of a tax if you want Michigan here, this feels like maybe a, a, like a three-point type of game. Uh, but it, these teams, are re- they're, they're really interestingly matched. And neither one of them, especially Michigan State, has really been tested. So w- what are your thoughts on this matchup? Where do you see some advantages for somebody? Yeah, I think, first off, I think this is great for the Big Ten to have both of these teams in the top ten. First time these teams are in the top ten together going into the same matchup since 1964. So it's nice to have a a meaningful game like this this late in the year. I think this also has implications for the Big Ten. You know, if if you're hoping that it's somebody other than Ohio State, well, this one obviously has some serious implications, especially given that Penn State had their, you know, their collapse against Illinois like we talked about. I think this really comes down to one facet of the game and it's going to be what I'm most interested in. And it's Michigan to this point in the season, they've tried to establish the identity. They're going to run the football. We're going to run the football. We're not going to ask McNamara to do too much. And to this point in the season, they really have not had to rely on him to throw money. And I mean, their last five games, McNamara only has one game where he's had over 200 yards passing. And that was against Nebraska that's what's going to be interesting to me throughout this game because Michigan State's pass defense is very much just okay. That's going to be, to me... That's that's generous of you. Yeah, they're they're not very good. It's two, 286 that, yards a game. It's not good, especially in the Big Ten. So, that's that's not good. Right. And now, in a couple of those games early in the year, yeah, I think it's some of the... I don't want to make too many excuses for them, but even in the Big Ten, like you said that's too many yards in a conference that traditionally does not throw very well. And that's going to be what I'm, I'm looking at is 
if I'm Michigan State, I'm going to make Cade McNamara beat us in the back end, and they're going to have to move the chains consistently throwing the football. And that, to me, is the game. If Cade McNamara – Cade McNamara coming into this game has only got five touchdowns. So they yep. don't ask him to do too much. If Again, if I am Michigan State in this, I'm saying in order for you to beat us, we're not going to let you run the between the tackles. You're going to have to hit those chunk plays that we haven't seen much from Michigan and, frankly, is, is why they got in trouble against Nebraska early in the year or a couple weeks ago. And so that will be the facet of this game that I'm most interested in. I like, and we'll get to this later on also, but I like Michigan State in this game. I'll say that. Okay, yeah. I, it's funny because part of when I was looking at this game, I, like you find if you look at Cade McNamara, what he's done in the first four games this season, Cade McNamara threw the ball 13 times per game. In the last three games, he's averaged 31 pass attempts per game. So Michigan's they're I think they they may have seen okay this is what we're doing here is good enough to get us you know get us through the early part of our schedule but once we get to these games against the Michigan State or Penn State or Ohio State especially we're going to have to throw the ball to keep up with these guys and I think they really turned that part of their game on in preparation for a game like this, where they knew that just running the football and, and they're a hundredth in tempo, I, I think they probably knew that wasn't going to be good enough. So I think they're they I think they've prepared over the last few weeks specifically for a game like this, where the way to win is going to be to throw the football around. Uh, it, I, this is an under game for me. I, I like the under. I played the under at, at fifty one. Uh, I can. I wish that I would have gotten to it a little bit earlier. I know it's fifty-two and a half early. Uh, Fifty-one is a key number. Let me see where where we're at right now. But it's a it's a fifty and a half. Eh, okay, well, it, there's. It feels like a, a, a old school Big Ten game. I think there will be some big plays, and whoever can hit those big plays wins. I kind of lean to Michigan. But I don't have enough. I don't. I really have no confidence in either one of these teams. P- part of why I think, like, I feel like Harbaugh needs this game. Harbaugh is zero and five against Ohio State since he got there. You don't want to go zero and two against Mel Tucker. He lost to this Michigan State team last year when they couldn't beat anyone. And I, I would assume that he's he's going to come in well prepared for this game. But again, I don't have a lot of confidence, mostly because. I mean, the best win between the two of them is Michigan winning at Wisconsin. And we, we, if you've listened to this podcast for any time, you know I don't think very highly of Wisconsin. So I, neither one of these teams has really proven anything. I guess this is the – whoever – I mean, whoever wins this game just picked up their best win of the season. Uh, so for me, it's probably going to be a, a stay-away game for the side. Like I said, I, I agree with you that – you know, at four and a half, Michigan Michigan State feels more right because I do think you're you're paying a little bit of a tax on Michigan. But I, to me, this is a game that I'm just going to sit back and and learn something about both these teams. Yeah, all the reasons we just talked about made it's why I think Michigan State in this game as well. But this, to me, also when I first looked at it, just looking at the smell test, I'm I'm looking at the line initially and thinking. Do I really want to give Harbaugh four? I mean, are we going to allow him to lay four and a half on the road in East Lansing? 
against an undefeated Michigan State team. I mean, just that alone, forget everything else we just talked about. That would make me uncomfortable. So you know, Michigan State play, has played everybody close. Last or two weeks ago, that game against Indiana was was gross. That's the other thing I would add. I think there's a, another advantage here for Michigan State being that they're at home and coming off the bye. So a lot here. I do like the under as well, but – it's going to be again for the entertainment value. It's going to be a great game. I think this this is going to be this could be the best game of the whole slate. I hate that they're playing at eleven a.m. Let's get to uh, Ole Miss at Auburn. Ole Miss now catching two and a half points. Favorite switched since the open, uh, but Auburn now favored hosting Ole Miss. What do you think? Expect Auburn to run the ball for sixty minutes. If you're you thinking about, okay, what kind of game are we going to get? Is this going to be high-flying? Is this going to be a shootout? I think Auburn is going to line up and run directly at Ole Miss for four quarters. And what makes me nervous about this game for Ole Miss, Matt Corral has been so good with the football this year. He's taken care of it. His completion percentage, for how often they throw, his completion percentage is extremely impressive. I think it's one of the big reasons why for, he can make all the throws. He's incredibly accurate, big arm. But the completion percentage and the accuracy, I think that's why he has continued to inch up draft boards. Some of the mock drafts are starting to come out, and most people have him. And it is a, a light class, but most people have him as a top 10 pick for this next spring. But, but that's what makes me nervous in this game is Auburn is going to try and play. I think they're going to try and sit on the ball and long sustained drives, running the football. And if Matt Corral – if they start to force it and you get any sort of early turnovers, that's what would make me nervous in this game. I would not have a play in this. I'm interested to see. The only thing here that I think I would like is the under. It's The last I saw was at 67. For the reasons I'm saying, I think Auburn, again, is going to try and play keep away in this game. What do you think? I've already made a play on Auburn. Uh, I, I like Auburn a lot. I would have liked them more as as an underdog, obviously, which I, I thought I was going to get. And I guess it opened at that, but that was one of those numbers that unless you were waiting around at Circa, you weren't going to get your hands on. <laughs> it's it, Like, obviously, Lane Kiffin's turned this thing into a juggernaut offensively. Their defense ranks right next to Vanderbilt and Mizzou at the bottom of the SEC barrel. And while Matt Corral is very good, don't get me wrong. His two worst passer rating games are the two road games that they've had. His splits are pretty wild. So uh, at home, Corral's average, he's passed for 294 yards per game, posted a 12-0 to touchdown to interception rate, and rushed for eight touchdowns. On the road, 72 yards less per game, has a 3-1 to TD to interception rate, and has rushed for one touchdown. His passer rating drops by 56 points on the road. You know, we talked earlier in the season about Bo Nix and his home road splits before this season, and and he's kind of evened that out. He's played pretty well on the road, actually. But Matt Corral, just, we ha- we haven't seen, we, we've only seen him on the road twice, and he, one and one in those games. Uh, but one of those games was against Alabama where he just looked really kind of lost. Like, he couldn't get anything going. Um, it, it, so... Bo Nix is coming off his best QBR of the season at Arkansas. He 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 connected on 80% of his passes in that game, and that followed up his worst game of the season, which happened to be against Georgia. But if you remember, like, so in the box score, Bo Nix sucked against Georgia. There, there's no doubt about it. But if you watch that game, 
you remember Bo Nix was the only reason Auburn even felt like they had a chance in hell to be in that game. Like Bo Nix was doing some things against Georgia that we haven't really seen anybody else do. Uh, coming off a bye, I expect that Harson has a lot of ways to expose this Ole Miss D, which has already been exposed several times over this season. So I, I actually like Auburn in this game. So I, I'll take Auburn minus two and a half here. I, I think the number's pretty close to right as far as the total. It's, it's sitting on the ball is certainly not the 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 Harson Bobo philosophy. It's it's normally like in in historically Mike Bobo's the kind of guy who's like, okay, this is the kind of game he loves to play. Ole Miss is going to run up and down the field on you. Okay, we'll keep up. We'll do it. And if it turns in, if that's the kind of game it wants to be, they want that or that uh, Auburn wants to play. They can do it. They they can score at will on Ole Miss. Ole Miss defense is is horrendous, and I think I, I think you know Ole Miss is going to score their points because they're they're an elite offense. But I just think I think Auburn is just a better football team here, and I think that Ole Miss has kind of been playing with fire. I, I think it just catches up to them here. Yeah, I'm exaggerating a little bit when I say sit on the ball. This is not going to be a service academy offense that you see from <laughs> Auburn, but I think that they're going to try and control tempo, and you're going to see especially up front, try and wear down Ole Miss up front as the game goes along. If you made me have a, a play in this game, I think it's probably Auburn. I think Auburn wins this game. But the only thing that makes me nervous, like you've talked about, Bo Nix really has played pretty good football most of the year. It was a little bit underwhelming against Penn State, but some of that I really blame on play calling and not Bo Nix. We went back a couple weeks ago to LSU. I think he is the reason they won that game. And fast forward to now, everybody's looked terrible against Georgia. So I don't even – take that, throw it out the window. It doesn't really bother me too much. If you keep getting that level of play out of Bo Nix, I think they win this game and they may win it by two scores. It, this would be the type of game, if it turned into a shootout and if it's a track meet, that you get old Bo Nix that gives you a couple scores and the bad variety too, where they give you – it gives you the ball – deep in your own territory, or even worse, it's a, a pick six variety. That's always there, though. I mean, that that's you can't bet based on that because you don't know when that's going to come or if that comes. But again, to me, I think this is a game that Auburn is going to try and set the tempo, and you're going to see a lot of running the ball from Auburn. All right, let's take a look at the world's largest outdoor cocktail party. For some, Are they trying to cancel that name, too? God, I don't know. If they are, I missed this. There's no shootouts. Like cocktails are fine. It's just they're beverages, adult beverages. It's not a big deal. This is one of the games they have to play early. You can't play yeah. this game at night because it would be just it would be a disaster. But Georgia minus fourteen against Florida. This is probably what I mean. This is Georgia's last real test before the SEC championship because, I mean, they, they've – not that they haven't had tests along the way. Obviously, I, I think Arkansas is a good team. I, I think that they've – you know, and Clemson was supposed to be better than they were. I think getting a win at Auburn in dominating fashion, they, they beat Kentucky. But after this Florida game, it's Missouri, Tennessee, Charleston Southern, Georgia Tech. Like, they – not that you're supposed to do this – but they'll start thinking ahead to what it's going to look like to play this Alabama team and, and you know, pencil in th their spot as number one uh, in the playoff. 
So I think you're going to get a very focused Georgia team off a bye here. And so Georgia this season, we've talked a lot about them. We've talked about their defense. It is maybe a historically great defense. They've given up 46 points this season through seven games. Florida in their last game gave up 49 points to LSU. That, to me, that tells you a lot of this story. This Florida team, I was a believer in them early on, if you remember. I was like, man, this Florida team, they, they made, like, even after they lost to Alabama, I was like, this is probably still one of the five best teams in the country. And I was just wrong. They are poor on defense. Uh, their, their best win this season is a home game against Tennessee where Hinden Hooker got injured. And they gave up 321 rushing yards against LSU. And LSU ranks outside the top 100 in rushing yards per game. So they just, that's not like, it's not like LSU is some, you know, unstoppable force and they just happen to get the best. Like they're a bad running football team and they ran wild on Florida. What's Georgia going to do? Georgia's going to dominate the fronts in this game. And it feels kind of like, Georgia's or I mean like Florida's settling on a quarterback they're trying to throw more Anthony Richardson out there but he's throwing an interception for every seven completions every seven completions one interception that that, that's not going to work and Emory Jones has turned the ball over in every game but one this year and now they're going to see far and away the best defense that they've seen like Florida's going to have to be two-dimensional to compete in this game and they just haven't shown lately that they can do that without giving the ball away. Like you've seen them try to throw, but when they throw, they're they're turning the ball over. And if you turn the ball over against Georgia, I mean, good luck. You give them extra possessions. And the reason why I don't like the under in this game, I've I've liked a lot of uh, Georgia unders. It's been a successful uh, successful move this season. But I think there's going to be defensive touchdowns in this game. Georgia's closest game this season has been 17 points, and that took the 12-minute Kentucky drive to cover uh, to get them within 17. Uh, and now Florida's you're, – you're talking about just giving 14 against this Florida team. I, I feel like this is the kind of game where Georgia can just put the pedal to the floor uh, off of bye in a rivalry game, no other real threats left on their schedule. I think you're going to go fully focused and motivated dogs team, and I think that's just bad news for Dan Mullen. What do you think? Yeah, I – I mean, we've seen this movie before. Like, we know this story. SEC team with two mobile quarterbacks or with a mobile quarterback, that's how their offense moves the football. They come, they play Georgia. That quarterback does not run the football effectively. They lose by multiple scores. Like, I I think that's the script that you're going to see again this week. And it doesn't help that two things, you have two quarterbacks at play. We don't know – are we going to see both? Is it going to be a variety? Is there going to be one or the other? And regardless of who you see, you have turnover problems with both for Florida. So factor in all of these things on the offensive side for Florida. And oh, by the way, you're playing, like you said, maybe the best defense. I mean, statistically, when we get through this thing, we'll see what happens. But this has a chance to be one of the best college football defenses we've ever seen, giving up less than a touchdown a game right now. I just don't there's there's only one thing in this game that would concern me if you're a Georgia fan and it has nothing to do with the defensive side. This is the game last year that Stetson Bennett really struggled in was just 5 of 16 for 78 yards in that game. If you see if JT can't go again and you get Stetson Bennett, 
if he somehow, for some reason, really lays an egg and plays really poorly, maybe that's the reason that it's kept close. But I agree with you. I think Florida, their offense will probably give you some short fields. I think Georgia may cover this line on their own just by field position and scores on the defensive side. So if I had a play in this game, it would be Georgia and the two touchdowns because Florida, this is another game. I feel like we say this every week. This is another game that I just don't know how Florida, when you watch them, how are they going to keep this within two touchdowns? I don't know that they're – how many opportunities are they even going to have in the red zone in this game? I don't think there's going to be very many. So – I would I would have Florida in this or sorry I would have Georgia again in this game as well. Yeah, I, I like you remember KJ Jefferson like everyone was talking about oh KJ Jefferson can run the football. How's Georgia going to handle that? And then KJ Jefferson ran for 5 yards on 8 carries. He could he couldn't move, he couldn't breathe. I get these these Florida quarterbacks are elite athletes. Georgia's defense is full of elite athletes. We, we talk about mobile quarterbacks in college football now, and, and it feels like we just lump them all in the same bucket. They're, against this type of defense, you would have to have a Lamar Jackson caliber athlete to really make a difference against this defense. And even Lamar Jackson in that Louisville offense would still have trouble because of their pursuit. So just because you have a quarterback that can run, guess what? You've got at every level on Georgia's defense, you've got NFL guys at every level. And they also have the ability, when they when they do decide to dial up pressure, they almost always get home. But oh, by the way, most of the time, they don't need to bring pressure. They get home with three and four, no matter who they're playing. So I we're beating a dead horse here. But, you know, this is one that all, I looked at this earlier, all the money, everybody is on Georgia. And it's, you know, I think this is just one that you don't overthink this. Yeah. And Anthony Richardson, who looked like, man, this guy is a weapon with his legs through two games. It certainly felt that way. He ran for 160 yards in the first game, 115 in the second. That was against Florida Atlantic and South Florida. Since SEC play started, he's running for about 14 yards per game because guess what? SEC athletes are different than you know, Florida Atlantic's got, than South Florida's got. And guess what else? Georgia's athletes are different than everything else in the SEC, so it's about to be cranked up a notch. I, I, this, this line feels almost I, – I, like I hammered this thing. I, I feel like this line is awkwardly short. I, I, I think Georgia could win this game by four touchdowns. Uh, and like my power ratings don't say that's going to be the case. The matchup tells me that's the case. And when – when Georgia's had a good football team in this rivalry and Florida's not, like when Georgia's ranked and Florida's not, Georgia just beats the brakes off this team. Like they are bullies and they've got every reason to bully in this game. Like I said, off a of bye week, open road in front of them. This is Florida. This is like a recruit battle more than anything, you know, at this point. And if Georgia can go out and embarrass Florida, I think that they will. So I, I think this is a, a smash spot for them. All right, let's get into our uh, our best bets of the week. I'll let you go first again since it brought you luck last week. Uh, you, you hit your three star, hit your hit, hit uh, what your three star and your one star. I think I hit my three star and my total. Or did we both hit our three star and total? I did not hit the total. I had I had San Diego State and Air Force, 
And Air Force tried like hell to get back in that game in the second half, but did not do a thing on offense. You know, the worst part, sitting there watching that game, Air Force, they're trying to scramble in the fourth quarter, and, and San Diego State turns a post loose that is, is wide open. Air Force quarterback overshoots him. So the under hits in that game, I lost that. And then the one that stung the most, I mean, I watched the entire second half, the Hilltoppers. I, I jumped on your bandwagon. They go to the, the fighting Butch Davises at FIU and are winning convincingly almost the entire game. And FIU does not care about my happiness or my well-being. Drives down the field, backdoor cover with like it was like a minute and 30 left. And uh, I had it at 15 and a half and that cut it to 15. So yeah, two and two. Um, so looking to bounce back a little bit. It was good to hit the three star. So yeah, I'll, I'll lead off. You know, this I'm going with a team that I think last week was the aha. Okay, like we're, we're we are who we everybody says we are, but we've never really been in this position before. They haven't been in a long time. I'm taking Pitt in a big number against Miami. Miami coming off the win against NC State, but Pitt minus nine. When I first looked at it, I thought hey, that's that's probably too rich. But the more I think about this and and Pitt's ability to score. I think Pitt will continue to pull away and is going to be at a pace on offense that Miami's just not going to be able to match, especially with a backup quarterback. I, again, it was a huge win for them to rally and beat NC State at home. But I think Miami will get their scores, but I don't think they're going to be able to keep up for four quarters. And the only other thing I would add, Kenny Pickett, if you notice that the Pitt – all of their social, everything is officially behind Kenny Pickett in their Heisman campaign. This is the moment after they go beat a Clemson the way that they did and pulled away in the second half. Having that confidence and also having a quarterback that you're pushing for Heisman votes now, you're going to get points out of them. Every week for the rest of the season, you will get points out of Pitt. So I like Pitt minus nine at home. Yeah, I'm not opposed to that. I, I looked at this game. Uh, I, I looked at it more for the total. Uh, it's at 61 now. There's money that's pushed it down. And I, I, I don't know how many stops Miami's going to get. And I do think Miami's offense has kind of started clicking. I think they'll put up their points. Uh, so I, I like this game over more than anything. But if I lean to a side, it has to be Pitt right now. They, I, what they did, and if you look at – you know, the final score and you see, oh, they beat, they, they won 27-17. You still have to remember that that Clemson defense is still very, very good. Right. And putting up 27 on Clemson is is no small feat. Uh, that, that's like putting up 40 on most of these other ACC schools. So the, the offense, it was still better than expectation last week. And they're getting almost like, like, Really, everybody that they play for the rest of this season is a, a real breath of fresh air defensively. You got Miami, Duke, North Carolina, Virginia, and Syracuse down the stretch. Like, there's a chance Kenny Pickett puts up some big numbers right now, and so I, I agree with this pick. I'm gonna I'll put my stamp of approval on it. Um, I like you won my three star bet last week. SMU cruised against Tulane, uh, and then. I had Hawaii minus 17, and they won by 14. I had bad information. I was told that uh, Cordero was going to play quarterback for Hawaii. He ended up not playing. I don't know if they just felt like 
They're playing New Mexico State. They don't need to rush him back. But I would have certainly not made that pick had I not or had I known that that Cordero wouldn't be playing quarterback, especially after what I saw out of their backup quarterback the week before. And then Fresno was a disgusting, disgusting beat where I had Fresno minus three and Nevada scores with eight seconds left in the game to make it a two-point game and beat me by one. So that was disgusting. But Michigan Northwestern, not much of a sweat on the under. So I'll, I'll try and stay hot here. And I'm going to start – I'm going to lay big wood here with The Ohio State University. We just talked about Penn State. We talked about James Franklin and the, the non-distractions that James Franklin's got right now. We have seen this Ohio State offense really come together. And it's – it's not surprising because basically they, they've got C.J. Stroud, who's now like I think third in the Heisman uh, odds, and they've got maybe the the two top receivers for this upcoming NFL draft. Uh, they've got a top-tier running back. They've got all the talent in the world on offense, and they're really starting to put it together and just run it up on teams. While Penn State's offense, uh, without Clifford at quarterback, was even more dreadful than it was with him. And then he got back into the game at the end of, at the end last week, and and you know he ended up putting in one of those two point conversions, but it, it wasn't pretty. I mean, he this is a a bad a bad situation at quarterback right now. I don't know that Clifford's healthy, and even when he was healthy, let's face it, this was a, a Penn State team that just wasn't putting up much on offense. And now, now they're going up against this Ohio State team. They've outscored their opponents by forty one and a half points per game since the Oregon loss. If style points matter, Ohio State said, okay, we're, we're going to have style points at the end of this season. Like if it, that one loss, if you're going to say, okay, we've got to impress the rest of the way, if you're talking about putting in Cincinnati over a one loss us, we're going to show you that we belong. And I think that's what they're doing. Um, I, I Again, Franklin says Clifford is going to be 100% for this game. I, I don't know. I don't know if that's true. They, they've yet to score more than 28 points in a game against a Power 5 opponent. Uh, while the 28 points that Ohio State put up against Oregon, that was the only time this season they haven't hit 40. And Penn State's defense is considered its strength, but this is the first time this season they're going to face an offense in the top 50 in EPA per throw. And Ohio State's been balanced on offense. They should find some success against this team that that ranks 100th against the run, 53rd in tackling per PFF. And the Buckeyes grade top five in nearly every offensive metric. Their lowest offensive grade on PFF is 16th in pass blocking in the country. Uh, So I I think this distraction with Franklin factors in, and I just think Ohio State's kind of on a, a, for lack of a better term, a, a fuck you tour. And Penn State's just running into them at the wrong time. Yeah, and Ohio State also now if they if they were on the table and they're one loss Big Ten champion, they are they'll be in the college football playoff. But I do think style points will matter for their seeding. And Ryan Day is going to have them. I mean, this is a pissed off unit since they lost to Oregon. I like the pick for really one reason. I don't care what they say about Sean Clifford. Watching him against Illinois, he's not even close to healthy. I was surprised, frankly, that they had him out there. He looked really banged up and and not himself. And I don't care what you do in a week's time after that game, he's not going to be fully healthy. So I like that. Uh, I, I, 
Go ahead. Before we move on, you, you just said like Ohio State, if, they, if there's a one-loss Ohio State, they're in. Does a one-loss Oregon maybe disrupt that? I hope so. This is a hot-button topic. I uh, Not for college football necessarily, but I love – Scott Van Pelt's podcast I think is hilarious. He and Stanford Steve, and they went back and forth on this today and completely agree. And, and this isn't unique to Scott Van Pelt. I mean, this a lot of people feel this way. There is a scenario where the way Oregon has won – and the way that the rankings look right now, that Ohio State goes in as a one-loss champion over a one-loss Oregon, and I think it would be so terrible for college football because then it's, why the hell are we playing these out-of-conference games? If, if that's the message you're sending, then stop putting your, your neck on the line in these non-conference games and just, if you're Oregon, play Hawaii and San Jose State and Sacramento State for your non-conference and then get into conference play. Don't do these major out-of-conference games anymore if you beat them. And then it's Ohio State looks better. And and so then you say, this team is now, well, they're playing better than they were at the time. Well, what the hell does that mean? You, you played, they played at your place and you lost. So guess what? If you both have one loss and it comes down to one of you going in, you're sitting at home. That's you had a chance and you screwed it up. I hope it doesn't come to that because there would be. I think everybody in college football, with the exception of Ohio State fans, would be irate if that were to happen. I guess the way I look at it is Ohio State still has an opportunity to beat Penn State. They still have an opportunity to beat Michigan State. They still have an opportunity to win at Michigan and. Oregon is not like outside of Ohio State. They're not going to have a single win that makes you go, "Wow, that's a great." Like they lost to Stanford, right? But like, but, I mean, I get, I get what you're saying that that there should be like some reward for for you know winning you know at these big non conference games. But honestly, like Oregon's next best win might be Fresno State. Sure, and, and I'm like, and by the by the time the season ends. It, it might be Utah or Oregon State. Like, these aren't the kind of wins that is going to make a committee go, wow. What I mean, like, that that win against Ohio State is, is basically their entire season. So I, I can see an argument for both sides, honestly. Hey, I would say if, if we're going to give Ohio State the, the benefit of the doubt and the credit for winning those games, then I'd say, well, then Oregon would have won them as well because they have the tiebreaker against Ohio State. So I, but then you would say Ohio State would never lose to Stanford. Sure, but they shouldn't have lost to Oregon, and they did. And so now, in in my opinion, they should be behind them. Now it's, we'll see what happens. I agree with you that uh, the, the Pac-12 being down just it doesn't help. Um, it doesn't help anybody's case, and the Pac-12 just continues to do similar to what the Big Twelve has done for a while and eat itself, with the exception on the being the Big Twelve, with the exception of. Oklahoma, but man, I, Oregon without Kayvon Thibodeau goes into the goes into the big house. I almost said the horseshoe. It is the horseshoe, yeah. Oh, I, oh, I got it wrong. Goes into the horseshoe, not the big house. Sorry, Ohio State fans. Um, goes into the horseshoe and beats Ohio State without Kayvon Thibodeau. It would be, I think, a really terrible look for college football if you get a one-loss Pac-12 champion that beat Ohio State at their place without their best player and the committee says, "Well, and, and eh, we listen, like Ohio State." Anyway. There's still an unbeaten Oklahoma to deal with. Uh, there is still there's still two teams in, in the ACC, 
And I, I think that you're going to have to, like, as long, I mean, just because Clemson's down this year doesn't mean that you can pretend like the ACC doesn't exist. If Pitt or Wake Forest runs the table and wins the ACC championship, I, I don't think you're going to put an Oregon in over them, certainly, because it's not like the Pac-12 is way better than the than the ACC. So I, I think that there's there's still I think- possibilities – Hell, there's a real possibility. And if 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 Alabama beats Georgia, are you going to knock Georgia all the way out of the playoff? I, I don't know that that makes sense. So there's still a possibility that Ohio State and Oregon both stay home. No, if Alabama beats Georgia, yeah, if Alabama beats Georgia, they're both getting in as one-loss teams. And then it's a – I mean, it's, it's a crapshoot for the second two teams. If Oklahoma wins out, they'll be in. And then that fourth spot, what do you do with – Poor Cincinnati, if they yeah. run the table. I'll, I'll say it again. I'll say it every week. I'll say it every week. If, if they are undefeated and you have a one-loss Pac-12, ACC, or Big Ten champion, Cincinnati's getting bounced. They're not going in. I think so, too. I, I don't think there's really any question. I, I, like, I don't understand. That, like Even the Vegas odds, I, I don't really get the the love for Cincinnati. I, it, you know, Maybe there's a bet to be made on it. All right, let's get to your two-star play. Yeah, so we'll stick in the Big Ten, and this is one of the games. You know, normally we stay away from these, but I like it enough that I'm gonna I'm gonna play it, even though we already talked about the game. I like the Spartans getting four and a half at home. I think this is a, a one score game. I think Michigan State, with the exception of Miami early in the year, really hasn't run away from anybody. But in this game, I think you're gonna get like we talked about. Michigan is gonna have to beat them throwing the football and. I like Michigan State's ability to keep this close. I think this is probably closer to a field goal game. Uh, I think Michigan State has a very good chance of winning this outright. But regardless, I think four and a half. I said this a minute ago. When I first looked at this, I I asked myself, would I take Michigan minus four and a half? Forget everything else. Just looking at this before I've dug into any of the notes and stats. And the answer I had immediately was no. The more I looked into it, I, I felt better about that. So I like the Spartans getting four and a half at home. Yeah, I don't have a good feel for this game as I mentioned earlier. So, I, like I said, I'm I'm just watching and learning. But I, I'll I'll back you in spirit here. Uh, Thank you. All right, let's go. My my next one. I'm going to the Big Twelve. I'm going to Iowa State minus seven at West Virginia. Uh, I think this is just a bad matchup for West Virginia. I, I think West Virginia is just not a very good team, and they were able to take advantage of a TCU team that's beat up and down defensively and and get that win but outside of that I mean they've just not they've not really done anything that makes me go oh they they're figuring this thing out and and really their strength on offense is running the football and unfortunately for them that's what Iowa State's biggest strength is they're not going to let you run the ball they allow 107 yards per game on the ground 16th in the country and on the other side West Virginia's given up 279 yards passing per game 112th in the country and guess who's starting to hit his stride yeah Brock Purdy since the calendar flipped to October he's had his three best QBR games and has a seven to zero touchdown to interception rate in September he had four touchdowns four picks so he's figured it out and Daggy's just been too inconsistent too unreliable to back here uh, I, I had this game 10 preseason I've downgraded both teams but Iowa State is playing with an up arrow right now. While it looks like the wheels, I mean, they may be coming off completely for, for West Virginia. Had they not won that game against TCU, I would say the wheels are off 
for West Virginia. But I like Iowa State here minus seven against West Virginia. What do you think? I like it because Iowa State, you touched on it with Brock Purdy, but it's Iowa State in general. They are not built. I don't know what it is about Iowa State, but they don't like having the spotlight on them. They are much more comfortable in October and November when they don't have all of the attention on them. Early in the season. You mean once they've pissed off a few games? Yeah. Right. Exactly. They they struggle to beat Northern Iowa. Purdy has three picks against Iowa, and then we forget about them. And then I went back and watched this tape for some notes of a game I was doing. They should have beat Baylor. They, they Baylor jumped out to a big lead, and in the second half, if they don't give up a kick return for a touchdown, they, they probably win that game. And now you look up, and they're playing their best football one convincingly in Manhattan a couple weeks ago. And this is the type of game that I agree with you. You look up and they've won by like four scores. And you're like, what the hell happened? When did Iowa State become what we thought they were going to be at the beginning of the year? So I like that. And I also just don't trust the West Virginia offense to do. I mean, I think they're one of the more inept offenses in the Big 12. So I, uh, I, I am in full support of your pick. I don't. Maybe we'll get through all these without you fighting one another. Um, I'm staying in the Big Ten for my one-star play. I'm going with the Boilermakers, plus seven and a half. And it's another one that coming off a couple weeks ago, the win against Iowa, you know, I – what do you have with the Boilermakers, right? This is another Big Ten game that – how much trust do you really want to put in a team? I don't think they go to Nebraska and win, but Nebraska had there was it felt like a stretch there where wait is Nebraska actually not a bad team? And then pretty quickly adjusted back to no, this isn't a very good team. <laughs> so I think it's I think it's a close game. I think it's similar, you know, very different level of talent, but I think it's similar to Michigan, Michigan State, where this is a one score game. This could be a field goal game, and seven and a half was just too much for me to give uh, to allow the uh, big red in Nebraska. So I'll take the Boilermakers plus seven and a half. Yeah, I don't disagree with it. I'm going to also be in the Big Ten for my one-star play, and this feels so gross. I can't even believe I'm about to say this out loud, but give me Rutgers minus one and a half at Illinois. And (laughs) I'm fading fading both sides of that nine-overtime game. But uh, Illinois' quarterback, Art Sikowski, has a broken arm. He's done for the season. And they'd rotated back and forth. He's a sophomore. And Brandon Peters, who was the projected starter coming into the season, he's a senior, he'd lost his job. Like, he, was, he sucks. And he, of their, there's 138 quarterbacks in the country who have, taken at le- who have at least 100 dropbacks this season. Peters ranks 137 out of 138 in completion percentage. The only guy he's behind is Justin Tomlin at Georgia Southern, a triple option team. So Rutgers has some really ugly numbers, but they've also played Ohio State, Michigan, Michigan State in conference. They've, I mean, they've, they've gone up against it in the Big Ten. And you've got to hold your breath to bet this thing. It's gross. It feels yuck because Rutgers is awful. But I, it just feels like a good spot here for Rutgers – against a bad team that's coming off a huge program win uh, that really, like I was thinking about that, like should Illinois feel good about that win over Penn State? And you know they're going to because they don't win games against those teams very often, but you can't feel like, oh, wow, look what we just did. 
because that's it was just a gross game by Penn State too. So I'm just fading the spot here, and I'm holding my nose and, and taking Rutgers. Taking Rutgers after Illinois gets a top ten. No, I'm just kidding. Um, yeah, I, that is a <laughs> gross game. That these are the ones I feel like you enjoy, and we all enjoy watching some of these these gross college football games. But each week, it feels like you pick one that you're like, this game is going to suck so bad. And I want to make sure that I watch every second of it. And that, yeah, I think well, I, last week it would have been Hawaii and New Mexico State, the late night variety. Well, at least that's the only game on late at night. So, you, like, you're at least watching football and instead of doing Vegas, whatever else. So it's not quite as late. I get it. Well, for my yeah, but yeah, oh, that one. This sucked. one, oof, middle of the day. Oof. Um, my last one, my over under. I, we've we've been. I feel like we are a fade Graham Mertz podcast and a fade FIU podcast. I'm taking the under 65 FIU at Marshall. Grant Wells and Marshall. There, it's a competent football team. It's a good football team that has a chance. We'll see what happens out of the East for them in in Conference USA. They've got a chance in conference going down the stretch. They're going to get theirs. That's the only thing that makes me nervous in this game is the chance that they have an explosion. But going back and watching, I mean, Western Kentucky is a pretty bad defensive unit, and FIU really struggled against them on offense at home. I play. I had to go to Marshall and play there a couple times. That's a tough place to go play. I don't think FIU, they may get a couple scores in this game, but I really don't think you could get much production on offense. So I'll take the under in this game, the under at 65 for FIU and Marshall. I, I'm kind of like you. I was looking at this game too. Uh, but I think I, if I play this game, I'm probably going to be on a team total under, and the, the team total right now is 21 and a half for FIU. I, I don't see them putting up three more than three touchdowns, especially. Yeah, I don't either. So I think that's a much safer way to approach it because this could be a game where Marshall goes out and puts up 60. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to go with – I'm sort of fading an injury here, a key injury in North Carolina and Notre Dame. And Notre Dame is going to be without their best player, uh, safety Kyle Hamilton, who – projects as a top 10 NFL draft pick. Like this guy is the real deal. This is not a great pass defense to begin with for Notre Dame. And now they they lost their their key guy. And Sam Howell just played the number is 62 and a half by the way. I'm going over 62 and a half. McKenzie'll get on me about not not speaking that up, but uh, so there you go. But Sam Howell just played his best game against Miami and now he's coming off a bye week. He's had time to prep. This is a big matchup for North Carolina. This like if you beat Notre, like this has been a disappointing season for North Carolina. There's no no way around it. They they thought they were going to be a lot better. They thought they were going to be like a, a contender to win the ACC, and then Clemson falls off the map, and you're still not a contender to win the ACC. That's there's a disappointment no matter how you look at it. But beating Notre Dame that can cover up a lot of stuff. So I I think they're going to be well game planned to put up some points here. Uh, and when they've struggled, it's been on the defensive side. Notre Dame's gotten over thirty points for the second straight straight week and. I, I love Carolina. I love this 20, 29th ranked passing attack facing, uh, like I said, an already beatable pass defense that's now without the, their key guy. Uh, Notre Dame has all but given up on running the football, so the clock shouldn't be an issue. Both these teams rank top 35 in tempo. It's going to be nice having some skin on a North Carolina game where I don't have to count on their defense to do anything. So give me North Carolina and Notre Dame over 62 and a half. I got nothing. This is not a game. I looked at this very briefly, but I, I did not dig in much to this. So you know far more about this one than I do. 
Uh, I would be remiss if we let this podcast expire without mentioning mentioning my Rice Owls, 23 and a half point dogs going on the road and beating UAB. So shout out to the uh, to the Rice Owls and anybody. That, some psycho out there had them on the money line. I don't know who it is, but somebody. Which is wild, but it, I'll tell you, and you may feel differently about this because you your your heart is in it. That was one of the uh, the biggest box score frustrations. Like if you say, "Oh, well, how did I lose this game?" and you look at the box score, you go, "No, seriously, how how the hell did I lose this game?" Like UAB thoroughly outplayed them, and the, the Rice just hung around. They let a team hang around and ended up and ended up costing them. So that's a big win for Rice. It feels like. Um, you know they they did a good job of of like holding on to the ball, controlling possession. They they won time of possession like almost forty twenty. Uh, so it was a, a really good win for them. And you know Rice is in a situation now where they've got a of it's got to be considered a very very winnable game this week. I've against got North Texas. I've got that game this week. I've got North Texas at Rice. Oof, and for sorry. those of you that do not consistently follow Rice football, if you feel like tuning out now, you're not going to hurt my feelings. But um, yeah, they three and four, and the first seven games of the schedule really were pretty tough, with the exception of Texas Southern. Everything else on their schedule, tough games: Texas, Arkansas, Houston, and then in conference they got to play UTSA and UAB. Those were their two of their first three conference games. So there's a chance. I mean, the back half of their schedule gets much easier. The next five games are. are some of the worst, the lowest ranked teams in college football. They've got UNT this week. They've got a La Tech in there. They've got I'm I'm going to forget Charlotte. off the top of my head. They've got a Charlotte, Western Kentucky. We get to I'm calling. I've got Bailey Zappi. So yeah, I've got that game in a couple weeks. But anyway, for my Rice Owls, I think that Western Kentucky and UTEP game is kind of that's going to decide whether or not they're a bowl team. So uh, I, well, this was not one of our picks this week, but I'm, I'm interested to get your thoughts on this. UTEP at FAU. UTEP plus eleven. That's one I really looked at. Did you did you spend any time looking at that one? I looked at it too, and I like I'm Florida Atlantic double digits. I was like, oh, that can't be right. Uh, that may end up on my card certainly. Yeah, that one made me nervous. The more I looked at it, and how poor UTEP six and one. Incredible story. Really have. I mean, their their schedule is about. I don't know where their schedule ranks. I think they may have. They're like in the in the bottom five of strength of schedule in the country, but and offensively really haven't done much. I hope that they can keep this close and, and really would as a fan would hope that they win because it'd be great for UTSA going out to the Sun Bowl and playing in, in UTEP. Um, but we're getting I, I'm getting way in the weeds on Conference USA football that I'm sure so many people listening to this are like, what in the hell are they talking about? I, I think that like UTEP football it's they they're they have been so far down that like this is a this season however it ends up this season's been just a wild success huge for them i mean huge this is a team them. and that is such a cool place to play if you ever for any reason get to go ch- get to go watch a game in el paso i'm telling you that's i mean there's a reason they still have a, a fairly good bowl game there it is such a cool venue out in El Paso. So to put it in perspective, in the last four years, UTEP has won 
five football games. They've won six this mm-hmm. season already. So yeah, it's a great story. It, it's really unbelievable, and and like I, I think in the in their history, they've won. I think they've won ten games once ever, and it was like in the in the eighties or something like that. So it, it's. I don't know that they're going to win ten games. In fact, I don't think they're going to win ten games. But the fact that they're six and one and actually like, you know, they're hell for Conference USA. They're, they're making noise. Like I, I think at this point, you can't just call it. A, a fluky little cute story. I mean, it, it's almost like, and they're probably a few years behind what UTSA has built, but it's kind of got that same feel. Like that's what's coming with these guys. And, uh, you know, like you said, they've had a really soft schedule. Their their best win is probably like Old Dominion or, or something like that. But it, it's, it, and they may lose. Hell, I, I mean, they're certainly going to lose to UTSA. They'll certainly lose at UAB. But Florida Atlantic, North Texas, Rice, those are all winnable games. Oh, yeah. Like, so this team's going to a bowl game, which is something like in a million years, I wouldn't have thought we'd be talking about that. Yep. Well, yeah, I've got North Texas Rice this week. We'll uh, give you the the rundown on on how that goes next week. But yeah, hopefully, hopefully some of these are some winners. And I get a, you know, I had a three in one weekend on our first episode of doing this and have been. Battling 500 ever since, so need to the the, the points it's been a last grind. week. You it's know, been a grind. it does make me feel good. I have not had many that have just been full blown whiffs. I mean, a lot of the you you want to win them outright, but a lot of these have been that freaking Michigan State Indiana push was a disaster. But um, anyway, <laughs> McKenzie's online. McKenzie, where where are we at? Like season long, how are we doing against expectation? You both are beating expectations. Taylor, just by a narrow margin, 18 points. You had 50% bet to be 17 and a half, so you're beating expectations. AJ, you continue to kill it. 24 points for you. All right, so there we go. We're, we're, as, long, we're, as long as we're making people money. And which one of us, which one of us does this full-time and lives in Vegas? Uh, well, that yeah, that's me. But, uh, <laughs> but listen, it, winners are winners. I don't think people care right. where they're getting them from, so hopefully they get some more this week. Taylor, always 100%. a pleasure, my man. And uh, we we will do this again next week, week ten. We're uh, we're getting into the thick of it now, so uh, I'm excited to finish this thing off. But appreciate the time, and we'll talk to you next week, bud. All right, guys, talk to you next week. All right, take care, everybody.